Well, welcome. Great to see you on Resurrection Sunday. You know, Christianity is built on two supernatural events, the foundation, the incarnation, a supernatural birth, and the resurrection. And that's where we're at today. I was reminded of a song this week. It says, tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simple as to a child. Tell me the story slowly so that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's redeeming for sin or remedy for sin. Uh, I want to tell you the story today and I want to make it simple. And I, I've entitled the message today, The Promise, The Seed, The Blood, and The Keys. So Genesis chapter one, God creates this beautiful planet. He creates man and woman. And God said, let's make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. It mentions over the fish, the birds, the cattle, over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. And all ladies, remember, you have authority over all creeps. It's right there. First chapter in the Bible. All right. <clears throat> but God created them to have dominion. In Psalms 8, it says you put him over all the works of your hands. Right? So that was how God created him. But what, what God did was this. He put in Adam and Eve everything that he wanted for all of humanity. They were, we could say, a prototype. And, and when God put Adam in the garden, it says this, the Lord God took the man he had made. He settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep or to guard it. Right? So, so the first thing God does with man is gives him a job. Right? After that, he gave him a wife. Job, wife. Somebody says, why did God do it that way? Because she's a female and there is a fee for having her and you have to have a job in order to be able to pay the fee, right? And all the men said, amen. And the ladies said, amen, amen. All right. So he was to guard, he was to keep the garden. Now, now who from? Well, the answer to that is the devil. Man, God had said to him, look, of all the trees of this garden, you can freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity, he said, you shall not eat of it. He said, but the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now they ate and lived for several hundred years. And somebody says they didn't die. They didn't die physically, but something happened. They were separated from God. In fact, in the Bible, death always refers to separation as the body without the spirit is dead. When the spirit leaves the body, the body's dead. It's separation. And what happened is their relationship with God, there was a separation. What, what happened is before this, before they ate of that tree, God came down every day. They walked together. They talked together. They fellowshiped. But once they ate of the tree, the Bible says they were afraid and they hid from God. That relationship Something happened. They lost their connection to God. And here's a fact. If somebody had to drag you here today, or you're just here because it's Easter, you know, that we, there, there are people, we call them creasters. 
They come on Christmas and Easter, Creaster. You got that, all right. And, but, but really, if, if you're here because you've got to be here, somebody brought you, it's because you don't have that connection with God. You know, when you're right with God, you want to worship God. You, see, you, you want to be around God's people. You want to hear the word of God. Right? But they hid from God because that connection was died. They were afraid of God and they're hiding. Right? And, and uh, God said, well, why are you hiding? He said, well, but, well I'm naked. And listen, this was God's question. He said, well, who told you you were naked? Who told you? And that's a question that we need to ask ourselves again and again. Who told you? Who told you that you can never get free from an addiction? Who told you that you're going to be depressed all of your life? Who told you that you're going to die young? Who told you that your kids are going to end up in a gang and are never going to serve God? Who told you? I'll tell you who tells you that. The devil tells you that. You, 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 need, to, you need to make sure you're listening to the right voice. Right? right voices equal right choices. Wrong voices, wrong choices. Wrong choices. Right? So they, they sin, and something very, very interesting happened that day. In fact, several things. One of the things was this, that Satan, when man sinned and bowed his knee to him, Satan took man's dominion. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan is called the God, small g, of this world. Well, who made him small g God? That's a good question. Who did that? Jesus is tempted by the devil, and the devil said to Jesus, all the authority of all the kingdoms of the world, I will give you in their glory because it's been delivered to me and I can give it to whomsoever I wish. So if you'll bow down and worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, Satan is tempting Jesus and if he's lying, there's no temptation. And he says, I've got the glory and the dominion of all the nations of the world. He said, somebody gave it to me and I can transfer it to whoever I want to. Now, I wanna ask you this question, who gave it to the devil? Adam and Eve. He took their dominion when, he, when they bowed their knee to him. Right? I think it's very interesting. Before the devil shows up, there's no sin, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no tears, there's no rape, there's no prejudice, there's no war, there's no famine, there's no pestilence. And once he gets shut up, the Bible says there's an angel going to take him and shut him up. About time somebody shut him up. He's been doing a lot of talking. When he's gone, God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. You know, there's a lot of people mad at God. And why did God? In fact, I've had people say this. Well, I'd never serve a God that brought famine and AIDS and pestilence. And I thought, me neither. Because God didn't do that. The devil brought that into the world. All right? And when he gets taken care of, ultimately... It's all going to be gone. And we're going to get back to a garden with fellowship with God. Right? He said, in the end, he will make all things new. So what God does immediately is he says something to the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. Now, he said, there's somebody going to come. This is God's promise. It's the seed of the woman. 
Now it's important because Adam reproduced not in the condition God made him, but the condition he fell to. And what he did affected you. The truth is he was your representative. We could say he was a prototype, but he was your representative. How many of you know there's people in Lansing, people in Washington that represent you and do stuff you don't like? It affects you. All right. Now don't get too happy about that. When we got people from both sides of the, and I'm glad, all right. But you get too happy, the other people are going to think you're crazy. All right. And in fact, when, when, when Jeannie and I were, were uh, living in Mexico, our oldest son had been born in Mexico and, and we were getting some hassles from the Mexican government because we were tourists. And so our next son was going to be born. We, she, we were pregnant, about seven and a half, eight months pregnant. And we decided to go and visit Jeannie's parents and have our next son born in a clean American hospital so he could have American citizenship. Now we're living in Mexico, but we make a decision to move and it affected his citizenship for the rest of his life. It didn't work out quite like we thought, you know, Jeannie got, Jeannie woke up and said, Hey, let's go to the hospital. And we're on the way. And we didn't make it to the hospital. Samuel was born in a van. And then after that, Daniel was born in a van. And then Stephanie was born in a van. And, and, and that's why they're van der clocks because they're all born in vans. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, they were all born in the van. All right. But with Samuel, it affected his citizenship. Did he get to choose? No, he was in Jeannie and she made a decision that affected him. You were in Adam and Adam's decision affected you. The Bible says just as through one man sent into the world and death spread through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. You say, well, I didn't do that, but your representative did. And he represented you and he got you in this mess. And when we get to heaven, we're going to talk to him. We'll say, Adam and Eve, what's the deal? So what he did, he did representing us. Romans 5 verse 14 says this, even over those who did not sin according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. He's a type of him who is to come. Now, here's the truth. The whole Bible is written about two men and they both have the same name. Did you know that? It's all about two men, same name. The first one, his name was Adam, married a girl named Eve. The last one, his name is Adam. The Bible calls him the last Adam. First Corinthians 15 says he is the Lord from heaven and you know him as Jesus, but the Bible calls him the last Adam, the last representative man. Just like God put everything he wanted in Adam, he put everything he wanted for you in Jesus. Adam messed it up and transferred what he had become, but Jesus does the same thing and he takes you into himself and you become part of his body and everything that God put in him and did through him goes to your account. He is, the Bible calls him the last Adam. He's called the heavenly man or the man from heaven. And since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So immediately God promises somebody's coming and he just refers to him as the seed of the woman. He's going to crush Satan's head. 
literally take his dominion away. In ancient times, when one king would conquer another, they would literally come and knock him down and put their foot up and come down hard on their head. You remember Joshua? He had all of the, 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 the men of Israel come and put their foot on the head of the conquered kings, saying, we have taken your dominion. And what God said is, devil, you may think that you have just won the battle, but let me tell you something right now. Somebody's coming. He's going to crush your head. He's going to take your dominion. You may have this world for a while, but you are not going to have it. You may have people for a while, but you're not going to keep them. All right. Leviticus 17, verse 11. Romans says the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Now, God said there is one way to make atonement for sin, and it is blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So what God did is there in the, in the wilderness, he had Moses make a tabernacle and there was a, a, a certain part of it referred to as the Holy of Holies, completely square. And inside was a box called the Ark. You know about it because you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right? This box is covered with gold. It's got a lid on it. And the Bible refers to that lid as the mercy seat. Above it are two angels with their wings. And this is what God said. He said, I will meet with you above the mercy seat under the angel's wings. He said, and my presence will be there. That's where God's presence was. So on the day of atonement, once a year, Leviticus 16, the high priest would go in to that one spot only once a year. And the Bible says he could never go in without blood. Tradition says that they would tie a rope around his ankle because if he did anything wrong, he dropped dead. And there were no volunteers to go get him, so they just figured we'd just tie the rope, okay? And he would take blood and he would go to that mercy seat and he would sprinkle that mercy seat with blood. And right on top of that mercy seat is the tangible presence of God. Right under that mercy seat are the Ten Commandments. Anybody here ever broke any? Just curious. Right. So in between God's presence, and remember the Bible says he is holy, holy, holy. And in Hebrew, every time you repeat, it's a multiplier, and three times it's perfection. Right. It's saying that there's a perfectly holy God, and then there's blood, and then there's the commandments underneath there that you and I have broken. But there's blood in between the, the people and the commandments that they've broken. In God's presence, in the commandments they've broken. Right? Now, so if you open that lid, there's not the well of souls, but there's the Ten Commandments in there. Right? Now, that, that tabernacle and that ark, they were copies. They were copies of a tabernacle that God has in heaven. Hebrews 8, 5, who served the copy in the shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he's about to make the tabernacle, God said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So when he's up on the mountain, 
God shows Moses exactly what to do. And by the way, the Bible tells us, this is going to be important, that God wrote with his own finger. He wrote those commandments with his own finger. All right. And of course, we always talk about 10, but how many of you know there's actually more than 10? 613 to be exact. Right? But God wrote them with his own finger. Right? That's going to be important in a moment. It says that Jesus served in the true tabernacle, which the Lord had erected, not man. Right? But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all and obtained an eternal, complete redemption. So when Jesus went to the cross, his blood that was shed, Jesus took to heaven. And he went into the tabernacle that is in heaven. And he put his blood on the mercy seat that is in heaven. Right? Now, what did he do that for? To, to pay for your sins, to be an atonement for your sin. Right? Now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, why don't you listen, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. When Cain killed Abel, his blood cried out. God said his blood's crying out. And his blood cried vengeance. Make this right. Make him pay. But Jesus' blood is on the mercy seat in heaven. And his blood is crying out better things. His blood is crying out right now for you and saying, have mercy, forgive them. Their sin is paid for in full. Bless them, deliver them, give them joy, give them peace, give them righteousness, give them a breakthrough in their life today. Jesus' blood is speaking on your behalf in heaven right now. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, Jesus is a propitiation. That's good news. The problem is, if you haven't been to church, you don't even know what a propitiation is. You never went to Walmart and said, where's the propitiation aisle? They don't have any. Right? No propitiation at Walmart. Myers, Costco, none of them have any. All right? It simply means sacrifice. So he's a sacrifice for you, but only as you put faith in his blood. That his blood that he shed that he put on that mercy seat, paid completely for your salvation. He went once for all into the holy place. Now, the Old Testament priest, he went back every year, every year, every year, every year, because the blood of bulls and goats, it could never take away sin. But what Jesus did is he paid completely. The Bible says into the holy of holies of heaven, into the presence of God, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. And he obtained and secured an eternal, a complete redemption. He obtained an eternal, complete redemption. Nothing left out. It's eternal. It lasts forever and ever. 
He used his own blood to set you and me free. So the Bible says this as a result, Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. By the way, that's the mercy seat, right? With confidence, without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures. And again, God's mercy has to do with your sins and your failures, the things you've done wrong in the past. But Jesus' blood did more than that and find his amazing grace to help. God's grace is what God gives you today to supernaturally do what you could not do without his help. So Jesus' blood not only took care of our past, but Jesus' blood obtained us favor with God so that we can participate in his amazing grace to find help in time of need, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. For every need, spiritual need, but also for physical needs, for financial needs, for needs in your family, needs of being free from, from bondage, from guilt, from condemnation. So Christ made a single sacrifice for sin. He did it once for all, once. How many ever heard this, this, those bedtime stories once upon a time? You know, the devil ever bothers you. You need to just tell him once upon a time. Jesus took his blood and he put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And he obtained for me an eternal redemption once. It was a perfect person, Jesus. Excuse me. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he did it to make perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single offering, he did everything needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. How much did Jesus do? He did everything that needs to be done. You know, we, we like to pay for our own sins. We like to do, how many of you realize this? Your flesh likes to do bad. And after it does bad, it wants to do good. You, you eat the chocolate and then you say, I'll fast for two days. You bring your wife chocolates and flowers and she says, what did you do? Because when you've been bad, your flesh wants to do good. All right. But Jesus did everything that's necessary for everyone. All right. You can't pay for your sin. You can't do it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. God said, I've given you blood on the altar to make an atonement for your sin. And that's what Jesus did. He took his blood and he put it on the, the mercy seat in heaven. And that blood is speaking on your behalf and my behalf right now. So as Jesus is on the cross, Colossians 2 verse 14 says that, that something happened that you would not have seen if you had been there. If you had been there, you'd have seen Jesus. You'd have seen two thieves. But if you had spiritual vision, how many of you know we can take a picture with a camera of my foot and it would look completely different if we took one with an x-ray machine? Both are pictures. One shows the outside, one shows the inside. But if you could have seen into the spirit realm and seen into what God was doing, 
The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right, that God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. He was working in Christ, but he wasn't working on Christ. He was working on you. And in the spirit, God came and he nailed, the Bible says that he wiped out, that he nailed to the cross the handwriting of requirements that was against you. The handwritings, that's what was up on the mountain. God wrote all those laws, all those rules, all those sins. He wrote them all down. Pilate put a, a piece of paper above Jesus' cross and it said the king of the Jews. That's why he's dying. But God put a paper on that cross and he put every one of the rules, the regulations, the commandments and said Jesus is dying to pay the penalty for every person who's ever broken one of those commandments. You know? And the list, we've got a list, but trust me, the list that God put on in the spirit is a whole lot bigger. Every sin you ever committed, you ever thought of committing, it was on the list. And Jesus died and made a perfect sacrifice and paid for every one of your sins. Took that blood that paid for your sin, took it to heaven, put it on the mercy seat where it is speaking today in your behalf. Now, the devil had dominion through guilt and the penalty of sin. But what Jesus did is he came and he paid the penalty of sin. So the Bible says he despoiled the infernal dominion and realms and dragged their rulers captive in a procession. He divested the evil spirits of their power and threw them out of their temples. He set himself and us free from all the spirit powers of evil. On the cross, he put them to open shame and he triumphed over them. Coney Bear says that he disarmed the principalities and the powers that fought against him and put them to open shame. Barclay says on the cross, he stripped the demonic powers and authorities of their power and made a public spectacle of them as if they'd been captive in a victor's triumphal procession. That's what he did. At the cross, he took the penalty of sin and he paid that penalty, which was what Satan was using over every person's head. It was where his authority was. So Jesus in Revelation chapter one, he said, I am he who was alive, I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now I want you to listen. This is not semantics, all right? Jesus arose from the dead. He said, I have the keys. The devil is defeated. You say, how defeated is he? Well, the Bible says he brought him to naught, zero, but he's so defeated, he does not have the keys to his own house. Jesus said, I've got the keys. The devil does not have the keys. He does not have the key to keep you in addiction. He does not have the, the keys to keep you in bondage. He does not have the keys to keep you condemned, can keep you depressed. He has lost his authority and his dominion. Jesus said, I've got the keys. I'm opening the door. Come out because the devil cannot keep you there. He's a liar. He is a liar. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, the fact he arose from the dead. The Bible says he was raised because of your justification. 
or he was raised when you were justified. The fact that Jesus was, has risen from the dead is proof that your sin is 100% paid for. The fact that he's risen from the dead proves that he has defeated the devil and that he has the keys of death and of Hades. It's proof that you also will be raised from the dead. The Bible says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have died. Least you sorrow like others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe it? Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or who have died in Jesus. As surely as Jesus has been raised, God says, you also will be raised. In fact, let me just take a moment and, and talk to you about this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or have died in Jesus. Now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Their spirit, their soul is present with the Lord, but we put their body in a tomb. And this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed or go ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the angel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? He's going to come back with the saints, but their bodies are going to be raised and are going to meet him in the air. When Jesus arose, how many know he didn't arise in a spiritual body? He said, look, he said, a spirit does not have flesh and bone like you see I have. And then the Bible says he had some fish and a honeycomb. Now that's making me hungry. I'm ready for some fish myself. Right? He ate. A spirit doesn't eat. He had a real physical body. Then we are alive, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we will always be with the Lord. Now, when he died, how many remember the Apostles' Creed? Remember that? He descended into hell. He descended into hell. Peter talks about it. This is what he said. By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. See, when Jesus died, he went down. And this is what he did. He went to the spirits that were disobedient. And he didn't say get saved. He said, God said the seed of the woman was going to come. And he was going to crush Satan's head and take the dominion away from Satan. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, the seed of the woman has come. I have defeated the devil and I've got the keys. And you know what he did then? He started the first soul train. <laughs> Ephesians 4 says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. You see, in the Old Testament, people's sins hadn't been paid for. Jesus' blood hadn't been shed. Some of you won't remember this. I, I remember when my parents bought me my first suit. We went to Robert Hall. I remember Robert Hall. And we didn't have enough money to pay for it. So we put it on layaway. We put $5 down. And then the next week we came and put another five and then another five. And then we got to take it home. Right? See, the Old Testament saints, their sins hadn't been paid for. God said, I'm going to pay, but he hadn't paid the price. And they were being kept in a place the Bible called paradise. It's a wonderful place, but their sins hadn't been paid for. And after Jesus 
told the disobedient spirits, the seed of the woman has come. The price has been paid. He led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Listen, but what does it mean that he first descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended high above the heavens that he might fill all things. As he was leaving, he's leaving. He shouted out to Abraham. He said, Abraham, come on. Noah, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaac, Daniel, Samuel, Joshua, come on. And he took all those Old Testament saints whose sin hadn't been paid for, who believed that the seed of the woman was coming. And they took and they headed up. Psalms 24 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. And Jesus and all the saints, they went through the gates of heaven. They went in, Jesus put his blood on that mercy seat and he paid for our sins. He had been in that tomb for three days. Jesus, 100% man. Christ, 100% God. Jesus, 33 years old. Christ, the ancient of days. Jesus died, but Christ went down, whipped the devil, took the keys, rose from the grave and said, I have paid the price for freedom complete, eternal redemption. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You know, you may be here, particularly on a resurrection Sunday, and you know you're not right with God. You're away from the Lord. You're here, but you're here because somebody obligated you to come. Somebody invited you to come. But in your heart, you know that your relationship, your connection with God, it's not there. And you need to get right with God. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. We're going to pray together. And God is going to meet you today in this place. You are going to put your faith in the blood of Jesus. And the result, that restoration, that, that, that relationship is going to come alive. He's going to come on the inside of you and make you a new person, a new relationship with God, forgiven, right with God, on your way to heaven, living the abundant life that Jesus came for you to live. So get ready on three. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying, God, is I understand that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. You're saying to God as you lift your hand, God, today, I am putting my faith in the sacrifice of Jesus' blood that he paid for my sin completely, 100%. Two, now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm going to receive Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family. I'm going to begin to live the abundant life that you have for me. Three, lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. I want to get right. I see that hand and 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 that hand, and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless 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 you. Over here to my left, one, two, three, four hands. Up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. More over here. Thank you. God bless you. 
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Way over to my right. Thank you. Way in the back. God bless you. Way up in the, way in the back. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Right over here. God bless. Now I'm going to ask everybody to stand, but nobody moving, please. Nobody moving. Now, if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Right. I want you to move from your seat, bring the person you came with, your purse, whatever, your Bible, whatever you have, but make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. We're going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your past, it is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. He's going to make you a new person on the inside. That blood that is in heaven on the mercy seat is going to be speaking for you, saying forgiveness, mercy. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We'll wait for you if you come. Come on down. Way in the back there. Make your way down. We'll wait. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here. Awesome. 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 Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. And again, from the balcony, you make your way down. We're going to wait for you. This is important. This is going to change not just your life now, but it's going to change your life for all of eternity. The most important decision that you could ever, ever make. What a bad, no better day than on Resurrection Sunday to say, I believe that that blood speaks for me, paid for my sin, beat the devil. Jesus arose. He's got the keys. Death, sin, the devil, guilt, bondage, addiction. They cannot keep you. You're going to walk out of that grave, walk out of that tomb of addiction or bondage or guilt or condemnation. Here we go. Awesome. Starting to come down from the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Romans 10, verse 13. 43 years ago, I was right where you are. This is the prayer that we prayed. The prayer changed my life. One prayer. 43 years, still working. 43 years from today, if Jesus isn't here yet, this prayer is going to work for you. Right? It's going to change your life forever and your eternity forever. Right? So this is what the Bible tells us. It says, whosoever. The devil says, you've been too bad. You've gone too far. You've done too much. The devil is a liar. He's a liar. This will work for every single one of you. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. Right? And then here's the best part. This is God's promise. Right? And he cannot lie. I'm not making this up. Romans 10, 13. Right there. All right? This is what God said. Will be saved. When we say amen, your past is gone. That blood in heaven will be speaking for you. God is literally going to come on the inside of you and make you a brand new person on the inside. That connection that was lost, when you walk out of here today, that connection with God is going to be back. All right? Now, thank you so much for being patient, every one of you. But would you please take one hand, put it over your heart, and your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from, and pray this prayer with everyone who's come forward. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. 
I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer, that you see my heart. I thank you my past, it's gone. That you blood washed me from my sin. That you make me a new person on the inside. A part of your family today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen.